So we're going to do our second summary of the Sermon on the Mount uh, today, looking at uh, Jesus as Lord and Savior. Last week we looked at Jesus as a, his authority as a teacher and and judge. Uh, I think maybe the, one of the best ways to sum that up is that Jesus' first coming was as for grace to show us uh, as a teacher uh, what he came for. He tells us his first coming is to save people from their sins, which we'll talk about today. His second coming is his judge. Uh, that's when he comes to judge the living and the dead. But uh, we see his grace by the way he does his first coming. Now, when you do these summaries, you know, we're going to be bopping around in different scriptures. I try to put a lot in to back up what I'm saying. Um, we have these outlines if you have any interest. Uh, if you missed a few, they're, they're out on the Internet to, to look at. And those questions we have in the outline we actually use for our life groups, which aren't meeting right now. So I still do them. Uh, we still look through those. And we do have a few people that once in a while shoot me an email and say, what were you saying here? Sometimes that happens. You try to be precise and accurate, but, uh, you know, the Word of God is, is what the Bible is. I'm just trying to bring it out a little bit. It uh, doesn't mean you might not mess up something. That's not the goal. We're not trying to mess up, but that's... Uh, so today we're going to look at Jesus' authority as Lord and Savior. Next week we l we'll finish it up with Jesus' authority as God and Son of God. So, Lord. First of all, we need to know this word. It's always kind of fun for Greek geeks like me to bring this in. You've probably heard this. Uh, I think it was, I'm trying to think of what that group was back in the 80s. Mr. Mister, you guys remember them? Interesting, catchy, catchy name. Um, but uh, they, they wrote a, a song called Curie Eleison. You know, uh, Eleison is the word for mercy. Uh, and Curie or Curios is the word for Lord. Well, that could mean different things, right? Um, it can mean different things in its original context. It could just mean sir. It could be mean mister. Hey, mister. You know, that type of stuff. Uh, it could mean a, a term of respect, uh, you know, where it's a little higher, the Lord over something. Or it could acknowledge deity because the word Lord is what the translation we get into Greek from Hebrew in the Old Testament for Yahweh. Uh, if you ever see the four capital letters, L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh. And so... So we got, how do you know the difference? Is this just respect? Is it just, uh, just sir? Or is it, well, you have to go by context. Uh, what is being said by the person? And I think uh, if you do want to follow along, we're going to look at this. This is an interesting verse, it most uh, or, or passage. Uh, it's a little confusing if you don't understand uh, that, first of all, Jesus is pulling this from Psalm 110. Uh, but 20... Matthew 22, verse uh, 41, um, a little hard, and it's an interesting psalm in the first part, when, especially when you're looking at it, but if you look at it kind of through the eyes of Christ in the New Testament, it makes a little more sense. So, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, uh, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord? saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is it that he is his son? And 46 kind of tells you how people grabbed onto this. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor that from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. <laughs> I thought that was so cool. It's like, yeah, we're done. I don't know what the heck you're talking about. We never understood Psalm 110. Now you're bringing it up. Why do you have to bring that up? You know, you know when you take a test, you know, and you can't quite figure out this one portion of the material, you're just like, I just hope they don't ask that. 
is I think was on their, on their list of things. Please don't ask us this. Uh, but Jesus, what's he doing? He's saying, well, you're saying he's the son of David, which is kind of, he's talking about the Christ. We'll hit that a little bit harder in a little bit. But whose son is he? It's an interesting question. You know, it's not, he's not talking about who's your daddy. He's talking about where does he come from? You know, so he's kind of bringing in this Davidic covenant, you know, which we'll look at. He comes from, well, that's, that's, the, that's the lineage. That's what we talk about. If you go to Matthew 1, how does it start? A bunch of begats, you know, going back to Abraham, going back through David. Because Jesus had to have that lineage to be the truly the prophesied Messiah. But then he goes on. He said, but David calls him Lord. Was well, that mister? <laughs> is that sir? Or is that Yahweh? And if you go back into it, you know, you've got this from Luke early. You got the angel went to her and said, greetings, you are hired for, the Lord is with you. Well, well, how's the Lord used there? You know, is that just some dude that has a title? I mean, that's God there, isn't it? But later in Luke, you get, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Was that deity too? You know, we kind of say it is. Uh, so you get these. So they're trying to figure this out too. But if you go back to Psalm 110, you can look in, in Hebrew, it's two different words. It's Yahweh says to Adonai. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, now you know, right? Should I just stop? You guys got it figured out. Um, you know, Yahweh says to Adonai, you've got, you've got this idea, there's two different words, Yahweh, capital O-R-D, and Adonai is the word we use for Lord that's very often used for Yahweh. So what the heck is he talking about? Well, it looks like, and you see this in some of the even Jewish teachings, that there's two Yahwehs, kind of. And it's, you see this before the New Testament even comes on. Uh, you see this in the burning bush. I don't know if you ever noticed it. You've got the angel of the Lord speaking, and then you've got the Lord speaking. Well, who is it? You know, yes, <laughs> that's kind of the answer. It's both, and they seem to be somewhat interchangeable. And so another one, that Exodus, you know, you remember, remember what, they, what led them out of Egypt? Yeah, it was a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. Smoke during the day and fire during the night. But I've heard where there's smoke, there's fire. That's probably both. Uh, but you know who's in there? Because Moses says, don't, go, don't, don't just have us go by ourselves. Please give us something. You, you lead us. You, you lead us. He said, okay, I'll do that. And the angel of the Lord led them. Yeah, again, it's like two Yahwehs again, and that's what's going on. Jesus is doing this. To me. I don't know why he does this. Well, I kind of know, but I don't know exactly why. Why does he make it sometimes so hard? You know, again, he speaks in parables. It seems like the ones who really want to know him, start the change starts to fall on the meter. The ones who don't just walk off and say, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, sometimes I think we get that. The gospel is simple, right? But understanding God is sometimes quite complex. I mean, you can do that with your personal relationships, right? You can just say, well, I know that person. But do you really know them? Well, you've got to spend some time before you really know them. It's the same thing with God. It's almost like he wants it that way. And so this is what Jesus is setting up. He's trying to get this idea of who Lord is. So Jesus is not just a teacher, as we see in last week's, or rabbi, because he's not just asking us to follow his teaching, but to follow him. We noticed that last week. Personally, 
You know, it's the old idea, you know, you, you hear that. It's a little bit of a cliche in evangelical circles. We've got to be careful with this. You know, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus, and then we don't tell him what that looks like. It's like, does that mean Jesus and I are going to go golfing this afternoon? That'd be cool. I wonder what he'd shoot. Anyway. <laughs> 54, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I think, you know, you get this idea that, that it's a different type of relationship. And, and we, but it is personal, right? Because he's a person. And I think that's the idea. It can't stay private forever, right? It, it's supposed to be done in community to some extent. There is a private relationship there. So, so his followers were not only to carry on his teachings, but they were witness to him. This is different. You know, most teachers point to someone else. He, 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 as a teacher, points to himself. You see this in Romans 1. He was descended from David. We've, we've had that. According to the flesh, uh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, he's the one we're supposed to be given witness to. For to this end, the Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And that Lord there is clearly deity. And think about, and we don't call him doubting, right? Trusting Thomas, you know, don't, you know, we all mess up. You know, would you want somebody, you know, just because you didn't take a shower and went somewhere, call you stinky the rest of your life? You know, same thing with doubting Thomas. You know, he did it for what, a week? I mean, come on. The guy, as far as we know, went to India and helped get the gospel there. So, but... Then Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas's words that are not corrected in any way by Jesus, my Lord and my God. That's a pretty strong statement. Isn't it? It's a good one to use for people who say Jesus isn't deity. It's like, well, I mean, Thomas thought he was. And Jesus, what, what do the angels say? You see this in Revelation twice, one time in John. What do angels say when people try to bow down and worship him? Don't do that. Jesus never says that. He accepts it. So, once he is Lord, then, okay, what do we do about it? Okay, he's my Lord. Super. Well, obedience is always assumed. You get this in Luke 6. And he says to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's a pretty big statement. Because who's really Lord of the Well, God is. Now, I'll tell you when to Sabbath and when not to. And even more so, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What's implied there? Well, Am I really your Lord if you kind of do whatever you want? Eh. You can't follow Jesus and not actually be behind him somewhere. Um, and then 2 Peter 3, a good verse. But grow in what? In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's the end of the letter. But think about that. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. We hit that pretty hard here. Most of our sermons are fairly teachy. And we have all these Bible studies, life groups. Why do we do that? Well, this is one of the ways you grow in the Lord. I didn't come up with this stuff, right? I don't know why he did 66 books, all this old stuff in these weird languages. He did it. I didn't. You know, if you don't like it, take it up with him. I, I don't know. Um, and you don't have to, it's not, don't think about quantity so much. You know, I, I know there's the Bible in the year plan, and I tried that, and I'm always done by February. I'm too far behind. Because I get into, I kind of get into the trees and the forest kind of passes me by. Then I got to read like 24 hours straight to get back on. I'm not doing that. But just get in it some. I don't know. A verse a day. I don't care. Uh, something. 
always doing something. So that the one of the main ways to grow in the knowledge, he's the one that reveals himself primarily in Jesus, but that's all recorded in the Bible. So again, I said that at the welcome. What's the main reason you go to the Bible? The main reason is to know God. You can get other reasons too, but that's the main reason you do it. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Yahweh? But that doing that does not make you saved, right? One is made blameless by the Lord, not by obedience. The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We did this for a while. It sounds kind of cocky, I know. You have to be careful. Context, context. I did this once, and boy, it was a train wreck the way it worked. Um, somebody asked me, so you think you're blameless? And I'm like, yeah. But I didn't get a chance to explain that. So it sounds kind of cocky, you know, because we're blameless, guiltless before the Lord. That's what the whole cross thing does for us. God looks at us and sees Jesus. The Father says, oh, Jesus knows him. We're good, you know. Doesn't mean everything we do is perfect, but when we do mess up, we obviously try to approach the throne of grace with confidence and do one of those promises where we get forgiven. So, but that's that. You want to be seen. If so, Somebody will say, well, it, it, it's humility. I know that. It's like, well, I'm not blameless. Well, not maybe practically, but spiritually you are. God sees you that way. Your sins are forgiven. Doesn't mean we don't want to keep that relationship going, and we don't we don't uh, want cheap grace. We want, but the obedience is something that comes as an illustration of us following Christ, not to make us follow Christ. It's the old adage, you know. Jesus uses this metaphor a lot. You know, fishers of men, fishers of people. Well, you've fished before, some of you. If not, you've probably seen it on TV. Uh, you know, do you clean the fish and then catch it? That doesn't make any sense. No, you, know, you know, you catch the fish first, then you clean it, right? That's the way it's always supposed But it's clean. You are clean, he says. So that's his authority as Lord. But the Savior and Messiah we want to hit a little harder today. It's plain in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus knew the way of salvation, and he taught it. He gives this, there's a wide way, there's a narrow way, there's an there's a easy way, there's a hard way. There's follow me or don't follow me. Um, but Looking closer, he not only taught about salvation, he grants salvation. This is new. Jesus thought he was the arbiter of this. And, you know, when you talk to somebody that maybe doesn't believe, he's either right or he's wrong. It can't be both. Jesus can't be the Savior of the world and not the Savior of the world at the same time. He's either the Savior or he's not. And if he's not, then don't believe it. If he is, I would. Because he grants this. He says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, belief doesn't happen by osmosis. By coming as a savior, he assumed there was something we needed to be saved from. And if you were listening to the sermon, or the children's sermon, you probably got that figured out, right? Um, that's the problem. That's why we've talked about this at the women's Bible study on Thursday. You know, a lot of ways to call people to faith starts with God loves you. And I, I asked them, and, and it's probably not that hard of a, an answer, but you know how many times in the hundred or so times that the gospel is proclaimed in the Bible that they start with God loves you? Zero. Doesn't mean he doesn't. And people will, you, you, know, you know the verse, God so loved the world. What verse is that, you remember? John three, sixteen. 16. Huh. Well, I was a math major. Not that you have to be to figure this out. So that's three what? 
So I'm thinking there's like 15 verses in this chapter before that. It doesn't start with that. It ends with that. Or kind of, and actually, if, I, if I'm doing my math right, there's two chapters before that. How does it start? How do they start? How does Jesus start? How does he start? Repent. Well, what should be your question if somebody comes up and says, repent? From what? Why? What's your problem? I'm not so bad. You know, that's the idea. He starts with realizing that we're guilty. And that's hard in our culture, you know. Nobody likes to be told they're guilty, right? Even in our jurisprudence, for the most part, we're innocent until proven guilty. Jesus does it the other way. You're guilty, and then we'll try to get you to innocence. It's how you have to start. And again, if somebody, you get these people in the, in the Gospels that are just not very good people in society. Matthew was not lucked on as a paragon of virtue, as a tax collector. The woman, unnamed woman, uh, that comes in to Simon the Pharisee's home and washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair is a prostitute. They knew they were guilty. And when you know you're guilty and you know there's a problem, then you look for a solution. And the problem in America is like, we don't think we have a problem. You know, people will say, you'll get that. I've seen that. It was probably two decades ago. They stood out. I don't even know what denomination it was, but a couple of big churches in New York, somebody came out and said, you know, how, are, how do you go to heaven? And they're like, well, I'm pretty good. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? No, you're not. <laughs> you, know, you see, theologically, you're not. You might be pretty good compared to other people, but that's not the way Jesus ever started. He assumes that you're guilty. That's why he asked everybody to repent. And, and that doesn't always feel good, does it? Who's the one that feels it? The one who are truly seeking. If you're truly seeking, you realize you fall short of the glory of God. Hence the next verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's one of those inclusive statements. Christianity is a very inclusive religion. You're all in trouble. <laughs> it's very exclusive in the solution, but it's inclusive in the problem. Back to the nativity, you know, this is to Matthew, or excuse me, in, in Matthew, to Joseph. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Well, why? Well, because I told you, but also because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a kind of the same name in Hebrew as Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So people who knew that language are like, oh, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe we should do that. Name one of your kids Yahweh saves. And then you'd have Yahweh saves Junior, Yahweh saves the third, yeah. But that's the idea, this, this, this saving. Again, why would God send a Savior if you don't need to be saved? You know, you've probably heard this analogy, but, you know, if, you, if you're on a, an airplane, and somebody comes by and says, you need to put on this uh, parachute, what are you going to think? Why would you need a parachute? Well, for what reasons would we need a parachute? You got a plane. <laughs> there might be a problem here. Now, if they just say, put the parachute on, and then the, the captain goes on, we're flying at 30,000 feet, and everything's fine. Or if you're at the airport, they go, fine. Right? That's usually the way it sounds. I don't know what they do. I, don't, I think if you want to start a new business, find good acoustical things for airports. This is the most important announcement you'll ever have. <laughs> Text me or something. But that, so that would be weird. It's like, why am I going to put this on? I can't get my drink, you know, my crackers I can't get to because this thing's on. 
But what if somebody comes, we're crashing. What would you say? Give me a parachute. You know, give it to me now. Well, that's the difference. It's like people who the Spirit's working on their heart, they'll realize I need a parachute. You know, it's the old adage that R.C. Sproul always used. You know, he always talked about, he talked to somebody about the gospel. Before he started, he'd say, he'd ask him, you know, do you, what do you think about your life and all that? And, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And he said, what do you do with the guilt? And you get one or two answers every time. What are you talking about? I don't have any guilt. That's probably the Spirit's not working on. Then you can still tell them the gospel and put a stone in their shoe and all that fun stuff. But a lot of times, you go, how did you know? Well, if you're truly seeking, the guilt will come. And you say, well, I don't like that. Well, I don't know if you like it or not. It's kind of irrelevant. Is it true? Are you really guilty? Jesus thought you were. But you look at Savior in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord, that's in Yahweh, and besides me there is no Savior. So how many Saviors are other than Yahweh? Zero. Okay, we got this binary thing going again. But I am the Lord, your God, in Hosea. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior if you didn't get it the first time. And it's in there all over the place. But then you come in Acts when Peter starts giving a sermon. God exalted him, Jesus, at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So this Yahweh thing keeps coming up, doesn't it? We'll hit this harder next week. And then Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, only Yahweh saves. In the New Testament, that's Jesus. Well, how does that work? The Father, well, Trinity, that's the way it works. Always. As we said before, the Trinity is a solution, not a problem. It makes it all sense of it for the most part. So just to kind of land the plane on this Savior thing, Jesus is called Christ, right? We call Jesus Christ. You know, you know that's not his last name, right? Yeah. We do that sometimes. It's like, you know, oh, I'm Jesus Christ, and this is my mom, Mother Christ, and my dad, Joseph Christ. Uh, and here's all my brothers, they all the little Christ. No, Christ is a, is a, it means anointed one. In Greek, anointed one means Christ, is Christos. And in Hebrew, it's Messiah or Messiah. It means anointed one. And that's what we see this develop in the Davidic covenant. This, you know, we've got these different covenants in the Old Testament. You got mainly the covenant through Abraham. And if you like to get adjectives, it's the Abrahamic covenant. Then you get the covenant through Moses, which is the Mosaic covenant, and then the covenant through David. That's the main three. And you get this in 2 Samuel. God, through Nathan, tells David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, which is a nice way of saying when you croak, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. This is the idea. This is where we get this stuff, where, you know, from the flesh. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. He's talking about Solomon there. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So that's where it's going to go through. We get that. And again, he will be great. This is when the angel's talking to Mary after he comes to her. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This is the Jesus getting this. It's the whole idea. And then... In Revelation 3, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David. This is Jesus talking, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open. That's, why is he saying that? Nobody else can get the door open. 
You want into salvation, you got to, Jesus has something the door. He said something like that. Here, I am the door. <laughs> it's very explicit, John 10. Gate, I am the gate for the sheep. You know, you can translate that door. Uh, but Daniel 9, if you want to turn to that, you're sure welcome to. Um, if you have paper Bible, it might take a little longer. But uh, 9.24, this is an interesting, if you, I don't know if you know Daniel, we should do Daniel, that'd be a good sermon series. We get Rackshack and Benny, which is really cool, get the Daniel and the lion's den, that first half, but the second half is all these visions, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, and I don't know, did you have a heading above 24? I've got 70 weeks, yeah, this is the weird one, we use this in our, we've used this in our Christmas production before. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. This is the angel talking to Daniel. And your holy city to finish the transgression, to put it into sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. This is really cool stuff if you think about Daniel's kind of late in the prophets. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one. Okay. You know what that word is? Messiah. You know, sometimes we miss this, and, and you get it later, you know, and after 62 weeks, the anointed one shall be cut off. Some people see that the crucifixion, maybe. Um, but that's where Messiah comes from. It's the anointed one. So sometimes our translation miss this. So Jesus is Messiah. Uh, and, and think about Jesus says that already in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Jesus saw all of the Old Testament prophecies and law being fulfilled in him. Doesn't mean he necessarily replaced them. He fulfills them. It's a little bit different word. Um, do you guys read the Old Testament? It's old. Actually, the New Testament's pretty old. Yeah, some people would just read the New. I did that with the, when I was in Keokuk. We had somebody who just thought, we just don't need the Old Testament. So I thought, well, how can I get them to want to read it other than saying you're silly and uh, other S words like stupid? Um, I said, well, let's do this. Why don't you do that? Take the New Testament, and every time in the New, start with Matthew, and every time in the New Testament when you see a place or a name or anything that has to do with the Old Testament, go read that chapter. Well, he comes back the next week. He, you fooled me, you know. You know what's in the first chapter of Matthew? It's a lineage. I think you hit like 40% of the Old Testament if you do that. So you ever have. It's just knowing that stuff. It's like people will say, well, do we, do we have to follow the Old Testament regulations? And those of you who take the tactics class will be very smart and say, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yes and no. Um, Anybody have pulled pork this week? Or ham? Or bacon? Maybe this morning. There's sandwiches out there. Is there any pork in there? Yeah, that's from last. If you want to take a sandwich on the way here, you don't have to eat it here, I've heard. I don't know if you can get a balloon with it. You'll have to take that up with Norma. But, but think about, if you eaten pork, well, it doesn't it say clearly in the Old Covenant you're not supposed to eat pork? No pigs. Pigs are unclean. You can't even have a cheeseburger. No cheese on meat. Which I don't like cheeseburgers anyway, so it doesn't bother me. I like the burger. You can have a grilled cheese and you can have a hamburger, but not both. When we were in Israel at Pizza Hut, you could not have pepperoni pizza with cheese. And the pepperoni was not pork-based. 
So we ask them, can we order a cheese pizza and a pepperoni pizza and slam them together? And they're like, you can do what you want once you get it. We just can't order it. Th- we can't serve it that way. Well, do we do it? Most of us would say, well, why would you want to do that? It's like, well, some of the old covenant we follow. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. That one kind of follows. But not all of us. There's ceremonial law, there's food law, and then there's moral law. And I think the moral law we're supposed to follow. And most of those are redone in the New Testament for us. Um, so he fulfills them. It doesn't mean we just forget the old covenant. It means that he's the one that it points to. So knowing it gets us to know him better. And he, the time has come, he says in Mark 1, very first words out of his mouth in his ministry. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Again, you're guilty. You need to have this taken care of. And then Luke 24. Jesus thought he was in the Old Testament. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I always wondered why he didn't tell us what those were. Why do you think? I think he probably wants us to do a little work. I don't know. Got to work at relationships again. Um, sometimes that happens. So the Sermon on the Mount has five direct references to God's kingdom, and Jesus saw himself as the one who inaugurated it. The Christ, Messiah of God and of Old Testament expectation. He's the one. He says, I'm the one. Look at me. I'm Christos. I'm Messiah. Not only that, I'm Kyrios and Yahweh. We'll hit that Yahweh stuff next week. And remember, and I do this too, and you have to be careful. You, you do the Jesus and God stuff. And the Bible does that too, but how does that work? It's like God sends Jesus, but I thought Jesus was God. I'm confused, and I'm also running around the stage. You know, it's How does that work? We'll talk about that next week a little bit. You probably already know the answer, right? Trinity. I would have never come up with this Trinity stuff, would you? If we were going to start our own religion, we wouldn't have done a Trinity, right? It's much easier not to have one. One God and three persons, one essence and three centers of consciousness. That's not you, right? I'm one dude, one essence, one it. I'm just me. But God is different in that way. We're created in His image. We weren't created exactly His image. It's the only being in all of the universe that has one essence divine, but yet three centers of consciousness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what the Bible presents him as, and that's why we believe it. It essentially solves any of the theological problems that we have, and that's why we believe it. So it's, it's common for Christians to call Jesus their Lord and Savior. We see that, you know, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot packed into when you say that. Lord, Kyrios, Yahweh, Savior, the only exclusive one that can get us from death to life, from separation for eternity to being with each other and Him in eternity. And Jesus Christ, well, what are we saying? Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the one that was always prophesied and promised, and He says, I'm the one. And really, it really comes down to that, and that's pretty much true for everything, folks. You go to Matthew 16, it's a, you know, you get, it's up in Caesarea Philippi, all the guys are up there, nice little vacation, around the campfire, probably having some s'mores. And Jesus turns to them and says, who do other people say that I am? And they give some goofy answers, 
you know, John the Baptist, one of the prophets, Elijah, and everything. That's kind of cool when somebody just casts you generally what you think. But then he turns to him, and I, in my movie, if you remember, I'm doing the movies all the time. I always think that's a good way to do it when you read the Gospels and read, you know, how would that look in my movie? I close your eyes just like I did with that cross thing. But I could just see him looking at them. Who do you say that I am? That's always the question, right? And the best way to understand that is, and how you're going to answer that is, well, who does he say he is? And then do you agree with it? And Peter did. You know, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Not just the Christ, but also the Son of God. Blessed are you. Of course, he screwed up one verse later, but that's another discussion. But he got it right. He gave the gospel. He understood it. And that's it. When you leave here, when you think, who is Jesus in my life? Is he who he says he is? Okay, that's great. Well, how's that going to make me live? How's that going to, what difference does it make? We, we must always be sure we understand what all these terms mean in the biblical context and don't redefine them to something we like. So what are we saying to sum up? Savior. Jesus alone saves me from my sins. That's clear biblical theology. Because only he alone is capable of doing so. He was the one sent to do it. He was the only one that lived a perfect life. It was always planned that he would do this. And Lord, okay, if you're Lord, you should trust him if he's your Lord. Believe who he is and what he said and promise to be obedient to him, knowing that when you mess up, he's pointing you to a loving father, not a judge. Part of being obedient is confessing our sins to him and one another, trying to reconcile all the time. Let us pray. Father, we look at your son and see everything we need. Uh, Lord, Savior, Teacher, Judge, God. We may not completely understand it, but we know uh, Jesus is sufficient for everything we need to believe and live in this life. May we always know uh, why we have hope in him and always want to follow his teachings and stay close to him. Help us all want to have the desire to be obedient. Give us the power to do so and the humility to know that when we fall short, you are always there as our advocate. Amen.